Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their hellhound roast, witch's brew, devil's night roast, or sinful delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Kevin Lewis is an American director of multiple features, including The Method, Downward Angel, The Drop, and The Third Nail. Most recently, Kevin has wowed the horror crowd with Willie's Wonderland, a wonderfully bonkers survive-the-night horror thriller that pits a group of demonic animatronic animals against an understatedly badass Nicolas Cage. The movie was one of the most culty returns to the midnight movie tradition I have seen this year, and a whole lot of fun. It delivered the laughs, it delivered the blood, and it delivered the cage. I really enjoyed speaking to Kevin about his career history, the long road of getting Willy's Wonderland off of the ground, and stories about working with Nicolas Cage. Without further ado, here is Kevin Lewis. (laughs) Kevin Lewis, great to see you, sir. Great to see you, Nick. How is everything going? It's going great. You know, uh, I went and saw Willie's yesterday at the drive-in. Oh, wow. What a perfect yeah. place to see it. Oh, it was awesome. So uh, we, I packed up the fam, and we got in the minivan. and went to the drive-in. It's in Orange County. Um, it was at the flight, and they had a drive-in on the top of the parking garage. And then the, on the side, there's a building. They have all kinds of cool food and mm-hmm. stuff, and it was the double bill with Psycho Gorman. Oh um, my I'm, God! I'm I'm dying to see Psycho Gorman. Uh, I begged my wife, but she's she's a nurse, and she's like, "No, nah, you you you're lucky to be here on this one." So, um, but it was great. I saw Geo, the writer, and that yeah. was fantastic. And Dave Newbert, my DP, came oh, and wow. to see him and to hang out and to watch the movie and go, "Dude, we made it, man!" Like, and we were just talking about like the history behind the shots and everything, and. Uh, and, and they see everybody honking their horns mm. and turning the lights on when Nick would take out one of the animatronics or the or the pinball scene. Oh my god! Or you know, it was just cool, man. That's and, blissful. Uh, I loved it, and it's such a drive-in movie, right? Totally. You know? And uh, 
it was it was great because I've been wanting to see this with an audience. You know, we made this movie a midnight movie. I picture like a Toronto Midnight Madness. Oh, yeah. You know, I was picturing cons. You know, high fiving the fans. <laughs> I'm so you know, high fiving right now. You know, now it's like yeah, high you know, shoulder. Away. Yeah, with or six elbow. feet away. By the way, yeah, six six six, six <laughs> feet away. Um, and uh, Nick and I were going to go do some press. You know, and and uh, at the cons, and yeah, I had this really cool thing, and then it just all went, you know. But hey, man, with what's going on in the world, people losing their lives and stuff—that's that's small potatoes. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what a blessing, though. I mean, I feel like this movie is so perfect for a drive-in, and I've I've talked know. to a lot of directors who put out yeah. recent movies, and they—I yeah. mean, horror is so good as a shared experience, and so many new yeah. horror filmmakers are cheated out of theatrical releases. They're cheated out of I watching know. the movies with an audience. But I feel yeah. like the sort of benefit is when you see your movie in a drive-in. That's even stronger of an audience experience. You know, you had horns honking and lights flashing, and those who've never been so to drive-ins, cool. that's what you do yeah. when you're enjoying the movie. The, the, the yeah. viewers used to do that, so that yeah. must have been incredible. And then I, you know, so I got four kids. I got two teenagers and two little boys who are five and seven, and okay. so we just put them all in. And of course, you know, uh, I don't want. Uh, parental uh you know guidance uh, control coming over to my house uh <laughs> child services here uh but uh so we'd shield them of course from the stuff but right. they've been drawing creatures for me that they love the creatures and every day they'll give me a card or something you know with, with, with willie and the gang and yeah and uh but it but seeing my five-year-old say uh what's batman bullshit and my wife looking at me yesterday and going i see what what, what are we doing here i'm like it's all good don't worry about it uh batman and it's just not a, it's not a nice word. And, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, oh, it was great. It was great. What a blast. Fun seeing this movie with everybody. And, and it was kind of cool. Uh, Geo came and spoke at the beginning and then people would come and talk. And so I went and saw, say hi to Geo. I haven't seen him for a while. And uh, that was really cool. And then people were asking us questions and the love of the movie, you know, um, from the audience reviews, you know, I guess we're, I guess we're like uh, four and a half on Amazon. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, of course, grew up in the 80s and uh, I'm just like Siskel and Ebert. I love those guys. Yeah. Even though they were wrong on Blade Runner. Okay. They were wrong on a lot of stuff, <laughs> but I love watching, and I love watching like the old school Siskel and Ebert and oh, stuff. Yeah. And I even like Ebert and Roper. People are like, are you crazy? But <laughs> anyways, um, so I like old school on that stuff. So like, it's amazing, you know, with the critics, because it's like power to the people. Now the audience really gets to speak. Yeah. Before it was like, you know, when I interned for John McTiernan and Rennie Harlan, and I remember, uh, you know, uh, the, the the reviews would come in, and it's like, you know, L.A. Times, New York Times, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, and you're just waiting on pins and needles, you right? Know? And uh, it's like, man, you know, you get a bad review, it's like someone died in the office, right? You know? And it's just so cool that you got this podcast. And everybody's just free and talking about the love of cinema. Mm -hmm. And there's people just can express themselves and, and, and the audience. And, and it's just so cool to see that with this movie yeah. and to see like a mother watched it with her son twice. It was a great bonding experience or somebody had a bad day and they just came home and put a smile on their face. And I talked to a journalist the other day and she was like, you know, if I die from COVID or if a meteor is going to come strike me down like Greenland, 
you know, I want to be watching Willie's. <laughs> isn't that cool? So right? cool. So cool. I mean, you really, well, we really brought back the midnight movie feel. You know, this is such um, a drive-in yeah. movie. You know, I feel like I it eventually belongs on Shutter with Joe Bob hosting it. Yeah. I hope to see that happen at some oh, point. That'd but be cool. uh, that'd be cool. But you really, you created yeah. something so cult-like. Was that the intention yeah. from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, when I read that script, Geo script, great script, I was, and uh, Jeremy Davis brought it to me, the producer, and um, it was really cool. Uh, I saw that script and I was like, this is, I, I love Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. I've been saying it all along, but I don't care. I love Sam Raimi and he's, he inspires me. Um, I met him. He was a, I'm not big on autographs. You know, um, my, my, my grandfather, Tom Tully, was an actor. Uh, supporting actor in Kane Mutiny. He was up for Cameo Award. Oh, wow. He was the captain that uh, Comfrey Bogart takes over. And uh, uh, so my mom had this book of uh, autographs, Charlton Heston and all these amazing oh. people. And so growing up, looking at these black and white books with like her on the lap, you know, and, um, and actually it's kind of interesting. I, when I got out to LA, uh, when I was going on my first movie, The Method, I, I uh, wrote to Charlton Heston and uh, he wrote me back Whoa. and uh yeah he, he was busy at the time but it was a beautiful letter and so anyways um because i was trying to get him maybe to be a part of my movie mm-hmm. you know just hey, hey man you know you got to reach for the stars you know oh yeah but um so when i got to la you know they would have uh uh shrine shows and actually i met one of my best friend kenny yakel there he would he would be there and uh, it was just cool. We'd all go to the Shrine shows and stuff. And Sam was there for Army of Darkness. Oh, wow. And so I got this poster. It's on the cover of a, of a Dark Horse comic. Um, it's a beautiful, I forgot the artist, I'm sorry. A beautiful, beautiful thing with, uh, with Army of Darkness. And so um, I, I, I saw, I met, I met Sam. And, uh, and so basically uh, I had him sign my poster. And it was just so amazing. So cool. And um, he signed it, Kevin. Looking for your name on the big screen. Keep them rolling, Sam Raimi. Whoa! And and it was just awesome. And then I was like, uh, uh, I said, then you know, I met Bruce, and then Bruce wrote it. Uh, Kevin, ignore what this guy says below this, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I cherish that poster. I have it framed, and uh, I just love Sam Raimi. You know, Evil Dead was a movie that inspired me evil dead 2 was just oh, yeah. incredible um perfection return of Li- you know and and so yeah return of the living dead all those cool 80 movies man and um i just uh i just loved it you know and so um when i read willies that all came mm-hmm. and i guess and i'm a big collector of pop culture i'm a pop culture nerd geek i don't care i wear it with pride i've got you and me both and- Hey baby, it's awesome. I, I got my Kenner figs. You know, my my my, my sisters. It's funny. Uh, I got two sisters, uh, Sean and Aaron, and they, I beg Aaron to take me to the comic book store. And she was a cool <laughs> sister because as a kid, she'd take me to the comic book store, and you know, Marvel and Spider Man, and just everything was just you know. And you save your little money, and you get your little comic, and it just makes your day. Yeah, and I still have my comics when I was a kid. I sold a lot of them to go to film school. I went to USC to support my first movie. Oh, nice. A really cool story about that was I made my first movie and I was interning for John McTiernan and Donna DeBrow, his mm-hmm. wife. And um, they messed it up with the lab. It was called Face the Music. It was on shot on Super 16. Oh, wow. And I got, you know, just like I see, you know, you got to get your guys there. And, 
shoot your movie and everything. And uh, we did it. And uh, they messed it up with the lab. It was all black. Oh, and it was devastating, devastating to me. And I was like, I, I sold all my collectibles. I, you know, big borrowed and stole money just to, to fund to your first movie. Oh my God. And it was called face the music. It was like a janitor janitor. And he, he's, my, circle, he's man. mopping the, he's mopping the floor. And all of a sudden the, the mop, he remembers him. It's like a new year's Eve party. He remembers himself as a, as a younger man. And so he turns to his younger self and the mop is his, his girlfriend or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's faced the music and dance. It was the Fred Astaire. Oh, wow. And, That's uh, cool. and Ginger Rogers. And, uh, and then at the end, you know, he sees himself as the, as the young man, he sees who he is and it was really, really cool. But anyways, they messed it up with the lab. That must and, have broken your heart. Broke my heart. And, uh, I'll tell you, Donna Dubrow, she gave me the money to go remake it. Now she was at McTiernan's is, office too, right? Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She's, and she was his wife. And what's amazing on that was, you know, when someone gives you the money to remake it, it's like, Oh my God, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you got to go remake it. Right. And so I got the team back. We shot it. And yeah, and it was, re- it was cool. And it actually helped me get through some doors. Was it better uh, the second was time? Was it a blessing in disguise in a weird way to have to do it twice? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was hard, man. You know, it's like, I got to go back and do this. But when you love movies like we do and stuff, mm-hmm. it's just a privilege, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, anyways, uh, it was just cool. So that was kind of the, the beginnings, you know, of, of knowing like how hard, you know, making movies is going to be, you yeah. know, you can sit in film class all you want. I, I had took some amazing classes with amazing professors. Uh, this is a great story. I, I took a Hitchcock class, my, my favorite cl- class. And, uh, we, we did a, uh, test on psycho mm-hmm. and my, my professor would say, the uh, light bulb at the end that swings after Norman, the reveal and all that uh, is the du- is the duality of man. Ooh. And so um, that was on the test. Mm-hmm. And so then we had the cinematographer come in and speak. Hitchcock and was- cinematographer mm-hmm. on psycho. Holy shit. Yeah. And he, he came in and spoke and he said, so somebody asked him, you know, about the duality of man. And, and he's like, Oh no. And we were losing time and the light and everything. And the studio was about to shut us down. I put up a ladder, put up a hi hat, cranked the camera, shot the things we needed to insert, and we were done. And everybody looked at my professor, and he <laughs> just puts his head. He puts his head down. He's like, everybody gets extra credit. Uh, it was interpretation. And I, yeah, and I I realized a lot at that. You know, yeah, that you can read into so many things. You know, and 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 movie making. And that's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. you know, because we're with a communal experience, but I also take what I want from, right. you know, and, and so going back to like Sam Raimi or meeting him and whatever, and just inspiring me. And it's like, you know, when you see a Sam Raimi movie, you know, it's a Sam Raimi movie. Oh yeah. And it's, it's imprint, you know, even simple plan. And I'd love that movie. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, everything he's done. And of course, Spider-Man was my favorite uh, superhero growing up so when he just when he got that i was like over the moon yeah an interesting story on that one too i had toby mcguire and kirsten dunst attached to a script i was going to direct and, and donna dubrow was going to produce oh wow um, b- before spider-man huh toby toby just did a woody's movie uh woody allen's movie and he did uh i think one other maybe it was ice storm okay. i don't know but kirsten 
uh, you know, she did an interview with a vampire and stuff, right. and she did an ER episode. And I went out to lunch with her mom, beautiful woman. She's just great. They're so nice. And anyways, it was cool. It was called Storming Heaven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a cool little script. And we had uh, uh, Toby, and went, but it just, you know, like every lot of things, I've been on so many movies, buddy. It's yeah. just, they, they, you think it's the brass ring, it's going to happen, and nope. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, same thing with Willie's. You know, we, we, uh, even with Nick, we had Nick, but, uh, it was a challenge to work and try to get that, get people to, to buy into the vision because mm-hmm. it is an odd movie, right? Yeah. And Nick, Nick said something interesting when he got the script, he said, wow, I, we don't see to his manager. He said, wow, we don't see these movies much anymore. Well, can you tell you us know? about that? I mean, it's a really interesting story about how the movie came yeah. together. From what I understand, yeah. Gio was struggling to get something off the ground for a while. Could yeah. you just tell yeah. us that story yeah. and how you and Gio joined forces and how Nick jumped on board? It's actually a really cool story. And I'll take you back to the beginning. Great. So I made a movie called Malibu Spring Break. And it, it was, uh, I, I shot this movie in three, I wrote it in three days. I shot it in nine. <laughs> and, uh, it was a TNA movie with Crown Entertainment who did the My Tutors back in the day and stuff. And there was an actor named uh, Jeremy Daniel Davis that was in his first movie. And um, anyways, we were shooting it. Down, and I was a little over schedule. I'm sure the producers wanted more uh, wet T-shirt contest footage, you know. <laughs> and so I'm pulling, trying to get that off. And it was so funny because I had all these elaborate shots and i was like the the the, the uh, cup hits the the uh tray we're gonna follow the tray into the <laughs> crowd to the to the and reveal the wet t-shirt and i'll never forget when the producers like just shoot shoot the wet t-shirts like, okay here we go we're gonna put a long lens on boom wide we're gonna do medium i did total tv i'm like we're done and i wrapped early wow and they were i was like a hero I wrapped like at 11 in the morning, you know, and they were just praising me. It was hilarious because it's like, uh, you know, it was like, all right, that's fine. That's what you want. But mm-hmm. I promised Jeremy uh, a scene, an improv scene. And, um, um, I, you know, they were hustling me to get finished and just to close shop. And I said, no, I want to sh- I want to shoot this actor scene. I told him I was going to do it. And so I did. And uh, anyways, Malibu comes out and I'm, you know. Uh, people want to run me over with a car and you know, in the reviews and it's fine. Uh, but anyway, so flash forward later and I'm working on a project with some producers and, uh, Jeremy hooks up with one of the producers and he's like, Oh, Kevin's, you know, Kevin Lewis or whatever. He's like, Oh my God, Kevin Lewis. And so he came in and met me and we saw each other. We haven't seen each other for years uh-huh. and just, we was just great. And he was trying to help me get this movie off the ground with uh-huh. some things and he did a great job on on what he could do on that one and uh really helped out a lot but you know, again forces that didn't nothing to do with him or me right you know, financing right movie falls through so then flash forward later and um i get a phone call and he's optioned the script from you know, willies he hmm. thinks i really like it and i'm the right director for it and who now, brought this to you again Jeremy Daniel Davis. Jeremy, now, Jeremy, okay. Let me let me tell you this. So what happened was his wife, who uh, uh, Jess Davis, who plays Siren Sarah, she was in an acting class with Gio. Oh, acting classes, man. That's how Tarantino she, got his script to Harvey Cattell. Right? Yeah. So she liked the script, took it to her husband. He loved it. He optioned it. 
He took it to me, and then we partnered up. Gio had a casting director named Venus Kanani, and so she made the offer to Nick. So we were all a team, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Nick, isn't that interesting that Malibu Spring Break equals Willie's Wonderland? Yeah, it's weird you how know? one thing leads to another, leads to another, and it's just about and taking I, any opportunity you can get, right? And I had an agent back at that time, and they were like, I'll never forget. She was like, Kevin, you know, you you're gonna have a career on making the movies that you pass on and the movies you do. Hmm. And I'm like, well, uh, that doesn't really make sense when I'm not getting offers. Right. You know? And so, and I had a family, I was having a little boy, my first son, you know, uh, Liam. And, uh, uh, I needed, you know, and I, and I was like, you know, every movie to me, you know, that you get behind now with the technology, it's amazing what you can do. You know, I mean, there's no more film labs to mess up your movie. you got your, your oh, yeah. movie on your iPhone. Right. And so you could just learn, learn, learn. And I remember James Cameron came to SC to show the director's cut of the abyss. Oh. And uh, he, uh, it was amazing. And he said that the technology should come to the filmmaker. And I'll never forget that, hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, because we're storytellers, you know, and, uh, and uh, so anyways, Malibu spring break crown entertainment equals Willie's wonderland. So Jeremy never forgot that, you know, and he tells a story way better. But he never forgot that I, I gave him that that that, that I promised him yeah. that 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 uh, improv you know that that scene, and he, you know and and he really believed that I had the vision for Willie's, and you know he knew these other movies I was working on that didn't you know go, mm-hmm. so he brought me back in the game. I I was working on other projects, and they like I said just something or other. I mean, right in the beginning, I had movies storyboarded, prepped. I mean, you know, but you know, it's not a finished product, man. You know, it's a, it's a work in progress. Right. So a lot, they just, they collapsed and it was hard. And so getting back to Willie's, you know, reading that script from geo and going, wow, this is just original and different and cool. And Nick was the only man, you know, we were like, that's it. It's It's gotta be him. Yep. So we got the script to him and, uh, and I'll tell you how loyal he is. Um, we were almost a year out before we shot that movie. Um, so Mike Nylon, his manager was amazing. Mm-hmm. He's a producer on the movie. And Nick was of course a producer on the movie and they're fantastic people. And they saw the vision and uh, it was great. So, yeah. It sounds like he, and I read this in a previous interview. It sounds like he real Nick really championed this movie in a big way. When you were struggling to get the green light, yeah, he, he really, really pushed it, which he'd is amazing. Ask, he'd always ask about it. always want to know what's going on. You know, we never met face to face or anything. We heard through Mike because mm-hmm. he was busy. He was doing other things, but it was incredible. Nick is a loyal, loyal man. Yeah. And I, I, and I said, there's three things about Nick Cage. We all know amazing actor, mm-hmm. world-class actor, a fantastic partner to do a movie with and just a downright decent human being. You know, when you meet him, you could just see his soul. Yeah. He had this cool ring. And, uh, when I first day I met him and it was like the skull kind of ring, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's an awesome ring, Nick. And he's like, thanks. This was, uh, all his kids wisdom teeth. Holy shit. You know, yeah, it was awesome. And what did he melt the teeth into time. a ring? Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just cool. I get, you know, it was Nick cage, man. Yeah. He, he just its own style. And it was cool too. Like there was this leather jacket. I liked that wound up in the movie for the beginning that he wears. And, uh, he put it on 
I was like, Nick, I really was hoping he liked it because it was my favorite of all the jackets. And he's like, I like it. I like it. He goes, then he turned to the wardrobe. He goes, could you put two red stripes here? Hmm. And she's like, yeah, we could do that. And I was like, that's awesome. So those two red stripes, that was him. Oh, that's cool. He brought so much to this movie. We didn't have one creative disagreement. Wow. saw eye to eye on everything. That's amazing. And, uh, and, uh, like I said, I've said it before, man, you know, uh, I was working on second, second team, you know, setting up the shots. I did Mm -hmm. a 70 page shot list for this movie, but everything prepared. Yeah. And I walked out, Nick, uh, probably with uh, 85 to 90% of it. You know, that's what preparation does, man. Right. I get like, I gave it to Nick. I gave it to Mike. I gave it to the cast and crew, man. I didn't care. It was an open book. And if anybody had an idea, I was, you know, totally open to hear it, Mm -hmm. you know, but, when we shot the movie, we didn't have time for, Hey, what about this? I knew we had 20 days. Mm-hmm. And so Nick would come when I would, we would be setting up a second team and the stand in and stand in was great. But Nick would come in and hold the punch pop for the focal length of the lens to get, to get, to get it right. You know, wow, he was that and dedicated, that dedicated man, you know, and uh, a great story too. We, we shot the first day, all the driving stuff. And, uh, the first shot was, uh, him giving the punch pop to live in the car. And, uh, and then he got out, you know, we we're doing the, the wide of the car, the tree. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. You know? And I went up to him. I was like, this is, you know, it's fantastic. And he's like, we're in it now. So like, cool. Boy, aren't we, you know? Yeah. I feel so, like it's a magical experience, particularly on like lower budgeted movies. When you have an actor who's just like the kind of cheerleader slash you know, yeah. keeps all of the momentum going on set. And oh, it sounds like that was oh. exactly Nick Cage. Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, he was in that, his trailer hanging out, man. He, he, he was not in his monitor. trailer. No, he's looking at the monitor, looking at the shots, looking at what was going next, you know, Damn. always prepared, had a great communication with the DP, Dave Newber, who did a fantastic job because, uh, it was a very technical movie, precise mm-hmm. film, yeah. what I was trying to do. And so, uh, we all had to be on sync on the same page. Yeah. Uh, I never left camera. You know, some directors like to go to video village and things like that. Mm-hmm. I was always by the camera always. Um, and Nick was too, you know, That's and great. I think it shows, I think it shows in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I love, I love everybody man, that worked on Willie's, the camera department and we, you know, JR and just everybody, Ezra and, uh, you know, Travis, the gaffer. That's amazing. Yeah. I heard there's a real a benefit time. to, there's a real benefit to not being in video village. And for those listening, video villages where you're just looking at the monitors and you're not no. engaging no. with the actors on set. No. Tarantino no. never, ever is in video village. He's always yeah. front and center as the actors yeah. are acting. And he says, the reason Absolutely. being when you're, when they're looking at you while they're at, or when you're that close to them while they're acting, they're not acting for the camera. They're acting for you. And that's how that you get a much better performance. So the fact yeah, that you great. and Nick cage were front and center, not behind mm-hmm. monitors, but right next no. to the camera that really must've no. amped all the actors up. It was. And you know, man, I was like a kid in a candy store. You know, <laughs> I, I got there early mornings. I got there sometimes before the crew, would get there and I was working on my, my, my prep and, um, I was just so happy, buddy, making this movie smile on my face. And the crew had a smile on their face from beginning to end. So everybody cool. loved it. Everybody got along. Um, yeah, you know, you have your occasional things here and there, but nothing. I mean, everybody 
it was just, it was great. Yeah. Till the end, you know, till the end. And, um, I made some really great friends and I told everybody, I, it was kind of cool. They had a cast and crew screening in Georgia Sunday and they, uh, zoomed me and I just told everybody, man, I'm working hard to get back there to make another one, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just fantastic. And the thing about Nick too, you know, the last day of shooting, he hung out for lunch and, and signed everybody's posters, DVDs, Blu-rays, what a guy. anything, you name it, you know, and the line, the cast and crew and the line was wrapped around the stage. So cool. What a, like, what a mensch of a guy. That's amazing. I'm not that surprised to hear me. that. He spoiled me, man. Like I'm worried. <laughs> like the next act. You can't do a movie without Nick Cage now. No. It's not a bad place he, to be. He's a genre to himself, isn't he? Oh, totally. Like, he's he's having such the, a resurgence we, now, which I'm we loving. Have, we had if we had blockbuster it'd be like the nick nick cage you know it's like, oh, yeah. okay cage you this you know <laughs> how many it's amazing dude like the movies that he's made i mean classics you know, yeah like, i grew my, up on my, con air and face off did you okay oh, yeah. all right my favorite's vampire's kiss how I did i never that see that that's a vampire movie you have to see it oh it's amazing shit i never even heard of that one of his earliest movies. You've got to see it. Okay. I, I think it. I think it was written uh, by the writer of After Hours. Oh, and okay. After Hours. I love After Hours. Yeah, After Hours is a great one. One of my favorite movies. And uh, he he basically gets bit by a vampire, and he thinks he's turning into a vampire, and he's just ah, I just love it. Wow. Um, yeah, I saw but, once bitten by with Jim Carrey a long okay. time ago. Kind okay. of feels like a similar sort of subgenre, but I, I got to check I cannot that out. Wait. You have to contact me, man. After you see this movie, for sure. I want to. I want to hear what you think. You know, yeah. but that's one of my earliest memories of Nick. And I love Racing with the Moon. I mean, I could have sat there and just talked to him about his filmography the whole time, you know. But um, then you're like the Chris Farley on SNL, right? You know, <laughs> stuff. yeah. So I was like, we got work to do. You know? Right. And, right. Uh, it was cool. My friend Scott Harbor, who's a producer on the movie. Um, he, he, he would bring his Mandy's and he had like five Mandy's like steelbook Mandy. Whoa. And then like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Europe version Mandy and uh, Mondo Mandy. Holy shit. And, uh, and Nick signed all of them. Mandy was so good. I was, that movie, it was my so favorite good. movie of that year. What was that? 2017, so something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. And what about, uh, behind the black rainbow? Right. I mean, that was just, uh, Oh uh, yeah. Panos's first movie. That was inspirational for Willie's the way oh, yeah? he would do like the out of focus shots, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was, cause you know, it was interesting with Willie's. It's like, I was really worried. I was like, you know, if we don't like these characters, right. And if we don't shoot them right, they're just going to have goofball, man. Right. And I was really, that kept me up at night. So if you notice in the movie, like you never really see Willie full frame mm. or something until like the very end, you know, and my whole thing was like, I wanted this to be as believable as possible. Yeah. It's a very self-aware film. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in my mind, I was making citizen Kane. Okay. Yeah. I took it that seriously. And, um, and I think you should as a director, you know, and you do your best, you do your best work. And for me, it was like, well, this is, if this is like my last movie, I'm going balls out. And you know, with what happened to me with, with the COVID thing, it, it almost was, you know, but the, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, you, you got to do it. And you do it, and you you gotta have your heart. Every movie takes a piece of your soul. Oh yeah. And I treated these characters with reverence. You know, I, I just loved them. They weren't goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't goofy. You know, kid. You know, mascots. You know, these were. And I I hope someday it would be such an honor that they'd be into like the horror lexicon with Chucky and all those guys. Oh like, yeah. 
I would love it, man. You know, the creatures were really in really well designed. I mean, they felt like they had yeah. a foot in like Chuck E. Cheese characters, yeah. but also were formidably scary. Can you talk about the creature yeah. design process and how you made the animatronics? Absolutely. So Ken Hall and his team made the creatures okay. and he's an amazing artist. And so we had eight of them and Ozzy was a puppet. And then, so we had seven suits mm-hmm. and, um, the stunt men, uh, stunt men and women were in the suits. Okay. And uh, Charlie Paris was our stunt coordinator. And he did a fantastic job. Love Charlie. And uh, basically uh, what we wanted to do was, you know, in the beginnings of Willie, it was like, what are you going to do? Build animatronics or whatever. And I wrote like a manifesto about why, first of all, you couldn't, you know, these aren't R2-D2s, man. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, first of all, it's a low budget movie. You couldn't afford it. You know, but it's like, can you imagine, you know, a robot or something and it moves this and, you know, yeah, there's no way. And actually an SNL skit really inspired me. It was uh, oh, yeah? Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks uh, guest starred and it was with Bill Hader. I love Bill Hader. And uh, they did this thing like a tunnel of love. I don't know if you ever saw it. You got to look I it up. So. And uh, they, they move like these marionettes. And then like the tunnel of love comes and like, oh, honey, look at it. And then they come up with this axe, you know, and they're like. <laughs> You know, and they just did the pop and locks, you know, yeah. I was like, okay, we got to get dancers or stunt people in these suits. If we could do that, we're going to pull it off. I really knew it. And so we got stunt, stunt people. Hmm. And so, um, that was when they were doing the movements, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, Jessica Davis, who, you know, found the script from geo, she was siren Sarah and she's a dancer. So it really helped. Uh, with, 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 with you know what her, her knowledge yeah you know and how she she moved you know so yeah i wasn't sure if they were actual animatronics like if you had stuff that was remote controlled or whatever because yeah. they moved in a way oh, that actually looked like animatronics yeah that's it felt real yeah. yeah it was great you know but you'd start the shot and it's like okay animatronics go and then they'd be doing this you know mm-hmm. and then we would start the narrative and what's going on and you know really really cool so yeah. what um geo has an interesting story and he was yeah. struggling to get something off the ground and then this idea came to him and then it uh-huh. it was through your it was through his acting someone yeah. else in his acting class right that that the script found its way to you yeah. and then just jessica J- uh, jeremy the producer's wife okay right yeah. right yeah very very cool yeah and what was your collaboration like with geo oh it was great man we hit it right off you know um, I pitched him my kind of vision of the movie and he really clicked to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we were like, man, I was excited. I would show him, we'd send him texts and he'd send me texts back and it, it was great. You know, so we had a good, good working relationship. That's super cool. And you just yeah. recently had a pretty nasty brush with COVID and that, did that affect mm-hmm. the making of the movie or had you guys wrapped or what happened there? Oh yeah, no, we wrapped. So we wrapped February 28th of uh 2020 okay and then i was back on a plane march 1st back home and then i was i started editing right away okay so you uh, just wrapped the movie right before covid hit yeah okay right amazing right and so then we're in la and i was cutting with ryan lieber who did a fantastic job as the editor and uh it was a couple weeks and i I could see the company that we were at and they would be bringing in the people who were you know, they bring you in drinks and food and stuff mm-hmm. like that, the assistant, and they were letting them go. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And as it was going down, we were like the only people there. Mm-hmm. And I was, and then that was, I think, when Newsom, after two weeks, I think that's when he made the announcement, uh, lockdown. 
You're right. And so that was like, wow, we're not going to be together anymore. Cutting this movie. That sucks. And so I had to go home. He had, and, and so then I was going through the footage and he was going to the footage here. And so it'd be emails and it'd be remote. Like we're doing now talking about the movie. It was tough. It yeah. was very tough post-production. Then everybody's like on an Island, you know, and I got my friend, Paul and Jay Otteson to do this sound design, a mix for my movie. And, um, Paul, I've known for a while. Uh, he's a three time Academy award winner for uh, hurt locker and zero dark 30. Mm-hmm. Amazing man. Just a great friend. He did it for me, you know, as a favor, but he actually really liked the movie, which meant a lot to me. Um, he's kind of a mentor to me and, uh, just a great guy. And anyways, I was looking forward to going to Sony to mix and, um, so looking forward to that. And, uh, we couldn't go. And so what was really cool, what was interesting. And again, it just shows you how technology, Yeah, we did like, we did ADR on iPhones well, and, um, yeah, that's that good now. Yeah. You know, professionally, it's, cra- it's incredible, Nick. I mean, yeah. what, what you could do. And so he mixed it at his house. Okay. He brought his speakers from Sony and stuff. He brought his equipment, but he mixed it at his house. Mm-hmm. And then he would send us, me and the producers, cuts, you know, versions, and we'd give the notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a different way, man. Yeah, but of, you guys of, made it work. Yeah, and everybody's in different, you know, color corrections in like Louisiana and right. you know, one producer's in New York, David Ozer, and another producer's here in Michigan, Jeremy. Wow. I mean, as much as it must have sucked, it is kind yeah. of flattening the yeah. post production process in a way that I think is gonna yeah. open up a lot more opportunity or for at least open up opportunity for the convenience and ease of post-production in the future where you don't necessarily all have to be in the room together. You don't necessarily have to only hire people in New York or LA, you know? Oh yeah. You know, it's funny because I remember back in the day, you know, coming out here, it's either New York and LA, you go to make movies, you know? And so I chose LA. I got into the New York uh, film school, Tisch school of the arts. I was so proud. You know, I made, I made a movie on VHS, called the real world and uh with my friends and i got a scholarship uh for the knc uh i'm from denver colorado Mm -hmm. and i got a scholarship from channel 4 kcnc for three years which was really cool they saw the movie but you know sc doesn't want to see a movie they want you to write an essay Hmm. and so but but the tisch school of the arts they saw the movie and they got i got in and i was really close to going there you know and it's crazy because when i come out here Within a year, I meet my future wife. Wow! You know, and uh, uh, yeah, we have four kids now, and <laughs> yeah, so it's it's wild, you know. But an SC yeah. is SC, right? George Lucas and right, they they, they turned down Spielberg. You know, a cool story is when I graduated, uh, Lucas and Spielberg spoke to the whole school. They're getting honorary oh, degrees. Wow! They spoke to the whole school, and then they stayed for the for the film school. And they handed out our diplomas. Oh my God. Yeah. They didn't have to do that. That's amazing. And I, I went up there and said, uh, to, to Spielberg, uh, you're the reason I'm here. And he said, knock him dead kid. Oh, you know, wow. You've had a lot of encouraging words from, you know, yeah, amazing well, filmmakers like Sam Raimi. And yeah, that's it's awesome. just, it's cool, man. You know, coming out to LA, I didn't even have an apartment and I went and got an internship with Linda Opst at Sony. 
you know, and she was working on Prince of Tides and Fisher King. And mm-hmm. Fisher T- King is such a beautiful movie. Yeah, that is a good and, movie. And uh, I didn't even have an apartment, man. I got an internship. But those were the days, man. I was hustle and bustle at the studios. Mm-hmm. And I saw when they were shooting Hook there. So you know, cool. And, and, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. I saw the fish tank with, with uh, Coppola. Oh, that's you know, so cool. Mike, you know? Yeah. I was such a huge Gary Oldman fan. My friend, you know, Scott and I, and him getting that lead, it was awesome. And deep cover shot right next to my apartment. Mm-hmm. So you go out, it's sunny, and then you look over and it's snowing. You're like, what the heck? is like, it was deep cover. It was the opening with uh, when Lawrence Fishburne's a little kid to his alcoholic father and then mm-hmm. he goes and robs in the store. It was a magical time. You talk about Quentin. I went and saw Train Spotting. Is it Newart? But he was right in front of us. Oh, wow. He came in. He was throwing popcorn up in the air and catching it. <laughs> I remember seeing Reality Bites and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman came in and they were right in front of us. Same thing. Tom Cruise was throwing up popcorn in the air and catching it. Wow. Uh, uh, I, I met John Woo. Oh, know? my God. Magical um, time. Magical time. Talking to Nick about John Woo, you know, he said on Face Off, John Woo had like 10 monitors. 10 cameras and he knew with each one, the lens and everything. Holy shit. Um, he just, it was incredible. And, uh, what's funny is, uh, so I go to the theater, it's in Westwood and, uh, I don't want movie. Those are the times where it's like, man, you went to the first showing on a Friday. Right. And, um, and so, um, you know, but, uh, we went at night too. And, uh, it's funny cause I was SC, but we always go to Westwood, you know? And, uh, uh, we uh, watched a film. I don't remember what it was, but somebody was bagging on John Woo hmm. and talking about, ah, it's just slow-mo with the pigeons and, you know, whatever, just these film guys, whatever. There was a, and John Woo was sitting right next to him. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. And I was like, man, you just don't know. Right. You know, and, and to be with these, you know, some of these guys in, in, in film school have such arrogance. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, I'm going to come in and you, you need some of it. You know, I remember, I remember at SC, the, the intro, the first day, and uh, they're talking about Tommy Trojan and the history of SC. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not down for Tommy Trojan, man. I'm just here to go make some great movies, you know, yeah. but, but, uh, you know, so, you know, you're young, right, man. You got the world, man. You, you know, you, mortality does, that's not a, in your vocabulary. Right. Okay. And, and so, um, but all through that, you know, and then interning for McTiernan and, and Rennie Harlan, and this is, a, this is a story. I was the guy at Carl Loco, Rennie, Rennie Harlan. I would be the guy who they would pile the scripts on in the wagon, and I would wheel them down to the infirmary. You would have to wheel scripts. There were that many. Wheel scripts. Not many. And I would be the guy that would throw them in the fire. <laughs> Oh my God, that must have taught you so much about Hollywood that there's somebody whose your job is to burn scripts in a wheelbarrow. All everybody's dreams and aspirations burning up in smoke. I'm I'm an emotional guy, man. You know, I felt for every writer there. Yeah, of course. You know, I know that maybe the script wasn't good or who I don't know, but I, I don't care. That was a lot of passion. That was you know time heartbreaking. You know, they have a dream heartbreaking taught me a lot yeah i'm sure it instilled in you a real sense of like i really have to go hard while i'm in hollywood because just Mm -hmm. scripts are being burned well when coming from colorado you know i was just had such great aspiration like i said i made that movie Mm -hmm. i got a scholarship things were rocking and rolling man i you know i i was just like i'm going to la you know and there's a uh 
show called Teletunes there. They mm-hmm. they played really cool music videos like The Smiths and The Cure and Sisters of Mercy. And uh, they showed my movie on it. It was on Channel 12. It was awesome. But the guy was there, and I'll never forget. And uh, I, I didn't. I actually I didn't make it. But I, my friend told me that the other friends that helped me with the movie I couldn't make it. I don't remember when. Oh, that was when I was getting the this award. I was at the award ceremony, and it was mm-hmm. the same time. Okay. Anyway, uh, for the scholarship. But he said uh, he was bitter. He's like, you know, I went out to L.A. and basically I failed. I'm back here, and I was like, God, I don't ever want to be that guy. Right. When I get to L.A. and I really hit depression hmm. and I, I go to, I would go to seven uh, elevens and I would read the varieties on Hollywood reporters and I would just read about everyone getting their movie made or whatever. And I wasn't. Um, and it just like, that's when I really knew like they should t- teach a class on pass at college class on pass. Oh, on pass on being yeah, passed. Pass. pass. Yeah. Cause that's the word you hear pass. And how do you deal with that? You right. know, they really should. They prep you sometimes at film school. You're going to, and you know, you, you need it. It's the positive. You could do this and that and blah, blah, blah. But man, you know, there's the other thing that, you know, you're not ready for, man. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I was in a super eight class. It was kind of cool. And they go around and they talk about what are you going to do? And uh, you, you could free reign on anything. And uh, they'd say, you know, some, you know, so one of the girls there was like, I'm going to shoot a car wash, you know, you'd be like, whatever. And then, and I go, I'm shooting a Western, you know? So I play with all the different genres, Western and horror and all that. And so we would go out, I would get a little crew and we went and go out and shot in the movies. And then my friend, Scott, who did the music for my first movie, the method, and he's one of my best friends. Uh, he would go and compose an original score to my super eight film. And then we'd cut it and we'd screen it. And so, people would screen their super eight films and it'd just be on whatever. And like I say, car washes mm-hmm. or whatever. And here I am, you know, and I've got, you know, uh, the haunting uh, and all the, and I would bring a boom box and I would like just crank it, you know, and okay, <laughs> roll a super eight. Okay. Now here the music, you know, and magical days, man. That's really cool. You know, you well, know? F- so I was, I just love making movies since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, Raiders lost Ark. You know, Star Wars was a gift from God. Oh yeah. You know, I, I saw that at six years old, and uh, Empire, of course, a cool story with Empire. It was like I went and saw it. I was like the the uh, with my mom, and uh, we were the last people they let in, and there were no seats left. Hmm. And I remember sitting on her lap on the on the on the on the uh, uh, the stairs. Whoa! Could you imagine that today? That's a fire hazard. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. Happen, right. You know? Yeah. And so so. I love making movies. And when I saw Raiders, the lost Ark, just like so many people, I just saw how movies were put together. Okay. I saw the storytelling and I saw the storytelling. I saw what Spielberg was doing with the shots. You know, my friend had screening tickets for it. And, uh, I was like, eh, the cowboy movie or whatever. I was really wasn't. He's got Han Solo. I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. And, uh, I went and saw that movie just blew me away. And from that day on, I wanted to make movies. Just like everybody. You yeah. Know? Well, once you, the the symbolism of you having to burn wheelbarrows full of scripts, I mean, I can't get past that, but once you knew. I'm sorry. I'm what, sorry to all those writers. No, but I think it's important. I know? think it's important yeah. to realize that a lot of scripts yeah. end up, you know, incinerated. But uh-huh. once that instilled a sense of how tough it is, it's not, you said that yeah. you, you momentarily got depressed, but what was it that enabled yeah. you to, how did you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just really go hard? And what, what empowered you? 
beyond that to know that you had to push and push forward. And how did you, how did you like after burning all the scripts, how did yeah. you get into an empowered place where you were able to get your movies made? What was well, different was about really, you? This was a really cool story. So I was working with Lori Hughes and she was like a you know mentor to me at that time. And she was the head of development at Rennie Harlan's company. And so she would read scripts and then she'd pass ones to me. And mm-hmm. she actually gave me one of the Wachowski brothers first scripts. Whoa. And um, it was called, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of it. It was about, uh, uh, you know, you, you suck the fat off. Liposuction? Liposuction. And it's like liposuction, but the, the, the fat became like a creature. Ew, you know? gross. And uh, yeah, I mean, and so, but she had a script, the assassins, assassins that they wrote. And we know it got made with Stallone or whatever, but they went out to Sean Connery and Ray Fiennes. And I remember reading that script and going, this is amazing. There was another script called Beat about the Beatnik generation. I mm-hmm. can't remember the writer. And it was amazing. I was like, Johnny Depp would just be incredible. And then, so that was really passionate. And then I, one night I had a vision and, uh, or, you know, an idea of, of a movie called The Method about these four method actors. They're putting on a play about a bank robbery mm-hmm. and to get into character, they go rob a bank. Oh, wow. And, uh, I wrote it, my first script. I'd write it in uh, uh, class at SC during finals. Yeah, I'd write it everywhere. But it, you know, it was very. And so I would show it to Lori, and I would show her what I'm doing. And uh, again, magical times, man. Uh, I sent that script to Sean Patrick Flannery, and uh, I have to give props to Sean. Uh, he he loved it. Uh, he was a young indie at the time call it you know young cindy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, we would go meet for lunch and stuff but he wanted to play the bad boy because i know it was like he he didn't get those parts he was young indy and um he he attached himself to the movie and um he put money in the movie you know um he was a great great partner and uh so we shot the movie i raised the money through friends and family i got a donation from panavision camera uh, we got great. the post from Disney, uh, and uh, we went to uh, shot at SC, and uh, I brought the actors there. So I had Tyron Turner from Menace to Society. I had uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. I had uh, Nick Nick Stahl, uh, uh, Nick Sadler, mm-hmm. and I had um, uh, uh, my friend Michael Bondies. And uh, we put it on, and I shot it in like fifteen or seventeen days. Wow! It all just and came together. We, no, for no money. We had the big Panavision Gold camera. That they donated to you. Yeah, I wanted to shoot very Scorsese like, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was the time when Quentin was taken off. And so every movie was Quentin, you know. Mm-hmm. And this movie wasn't Quentin, but everybody tried to make it that way. And what's so cool is even before I shot the movie, is I landed an agent, Jeff Robinoff at ICM. Mm-hmm. And um, he, of course, became Warner, at Warner Brothers, the, you know, with Nolan and everything. And now he's, I think he's running Section 8. Uh, or studio eight or his company. I mean, huge, but he was my agent. And, uh, but I, I, so I got, so after that, like the method was the coolest thing. I, I met so many great people and actors and I went to Mark Wahlberg's birthday party. So I knew cool. somebody and Leo DiCaprio was there. And, uh, I remember that I was just, again, magical time. Yeah. And, um, so I made the movie and we finished it. And, uh, of course you want to get the Sundance. That's like Mecca. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everybody wants to go to Sundance. And, uh, so I was like really trying, you know, but slam dance liked it and picked it up, saw screening. I think it was the second year of slam dance. And so we went there and, uh, we had posters, homemade posters. 
you know, posting around and it was so cold and everything, but we would do that and get our people to see people into the film. And it was, you know, in this little, you know, little decent room yeah. and projector and stuff. And then what's, and people are coming up to me going, you're going to win slam dance, you know? And I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. And all that stuff. and it was so funny. And so then in comes Steven Soderbergh. Walking in and with Parker Posey and Lee Schreiber and uh, uh, the great director uh, of Superbad, you know, the future Superbad. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he didn't get into Sundance, I think, or something. And he screened his movie at Slamdance. And I was like, we're cooked. It's over. Mm. (laughs) But that was fine. It was a great movie. Day Trippers. Oh, okay, uh, right. And, uh, anyways, uh, uh, so that was like, whoa. Yeah. You know? So then after that, um, I I raised money for like an action movie uh, called Downward Angel. Mm -hmm. And um, it was kind of cool. You know, I shot for like 200 grand. And uh, Matt Schultz was the lead. And actually, we cut, I cut an acting reel for Matt to show Rob Cohen for Fast and the Furious. Oh, nice. And he got it. You that's know? great. That's great. Yeah. Worked with Jonathan Banks, you know, before he was Mike on Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. You know, that was awesome. I love that actor. You know? Yeah. So we shot that and we sold the Blockbuster and Blockbuster picked it up. And so um, that was in a Hollywood Reporter. It was like the Killer Bees and was the head of Blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And they had the Contaminated Man, William Hurt, and then my movie, Downward Angel. How mm-hmm. cool is that? Super cool. And so, um, so then I, you know, did that film and, Every movie just try to lead to the next, to the next, to the next, you know. Um, but uh, the method was magical times. I mean, I met Ryan uh, 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 Felipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was possibly going to play the lead. Um, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, from the '70s show, Danny. Uh, he came into my apartment and was wanted the lead and was reading a monologue. I mean, wow. The, the actors out there. And just the LA, and that's when the studios were alive, mm-hmm. and making movies, and you it was know a what hell I mean? of a time. Like the '90s was amazing for Hollywood. It really was, man. And that's when Train Spotting came out, and mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. I went to this big, you know, when the first Pulp Fiction Friday night at Westwood, you know, and uh, I saw Reservoir Dogs, of course, before that, the new art, yeah, you know, and uh, I was, it was just, it was, yeah. You always you wanted your movie to get to Miramax. That was yep. the goal, get to Miramax. Yeah, and. Um, Anyway, so the method was like the biggest success for me in terms of that, of meeting people and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it was so funny. I was so broke and I'd go do lunches with these producers and the, the go to sushi restaurants and all this stuff. And the restaurants where the, the sushi is not on the menu, right? They have the mm, special, right. you know, and, uh, and the, here it comes. And it's like I do the reach around to the wallet. And I'm just sweating because I know I got like 40 bucks in my account oh, man. at the time. And he's like, oh, Kevin, no, no, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll take that. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, with a heartbeat, you know? But that was that was something else. And I would just drive my car down Hollywood Boulevard, man. And I'd be dropping scripts off to ICM and CAA myself, you know, acting like the assistant. Just hustling it. Hustling, baby. Hustling. And, uh, you know, even though that was so hard and sometimes really tough, again, it was magical. Yeah. You know, it was just, 
And I look back with fond memories on that, you know? And it sounds like, I so, mean, the, one of the common denominators of your story, it sounds like you you were never waiting for the opportunity to be handed to you. You just kept pushing no, your movies I, forward. You scraped the money never, together. And yeah, and I feel like that's such an important lesson because I feel like a lot of filmmakers, particularly after they make their first movie, they're waiting for the calls to come in where it's like, no, 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 you got to get yeah. on top of your second one and you have to yeah. push that forward and start scraping yeah. money together here and there. And just that momentum seems like it's so important. Did somebody so it, mentor you about that? Yeah. No. No, you just knew I you always, had to keep things. Well, yeah, having yeah. worked with I, Randy it's Harlan. Funny cause, it was funny because calling my friends, you know, and I'd be like, uh, like my friend Michael, and he, I want him in one of the movies. I'm like, okay, it's looking good, you know, da, 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 da. And it's like every day I would call him and I knew he's an actor and, you know, it's like he couldn't take it, you know, because I'm like, well, they got this actor chart here and that like I was like, and he's like, I knew. And I was like, he's like, Kev, just call me when the movie gets greenlit, you know? So like, but that was my therapy, just calling my friends, you right. know, talking to him. Uh, but no, it was a hard charge. Uh, my dad was in the military and they quote when the bullets were shooting in Vietnam They'd say drive on, don't mean nothing. Mm. Drive on. I took that, and God bless every military, their heroes. Um, but uh, I took drive on, and so that was my mantra in my mind. Yeah. And so I kept working. And kind of interesting story. Uh, I made a movie called Dark Heart with uh, Greg Jolson, a uh, wonderful human being and great friend of mine. And uh, we were at a festival in Montana, the, the Hatch the Hatch uh, Festival. And um, um, basically, I was on a panel with John Dahl. I mean, John Dahl, Red Rock West, mm -hmm. right? Amazing. And um, we were at, asked questions about our movies. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm not worthy, you know, Wayne's World. Um, but it was cool. <laughs> and, and somebody came up and said uh, they love Dark Heart. And they're like, how'd you do it, you know? And I basically said, this is what we did. Yeah. Worked hard, you know, did it. And I said, go out and do it. Just do it. Mm -hmm. I remember John Dahl going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, that, you know, and he's like, calm down. You know, there's a process, you know, and everything. And it was very, you know, uh, what he said, it was great. And um, he, what he said was bright. I mean, he's John yep. Dahl. He's, he's a legend in the industry. Make amazing work. Classy. Yep. But I was just youth in the fact of just do it. Mm -hmm. Nike, right? Oh, yeah. And it was the coolest thing, Nick. So this guy loved my movie so much, Darkheart, that he would bring a friend every screening. Whoa. And so after like the fifth screening, it was like 15 people, you know? And um, it was just so cool. And it was so cool to inspire Someone like that, you know, yeah. and, uh, he took the time out of his work and changed his work schedule to go. That's amazing. It's just awesome. You know, and that's why we make movies, right. You right. know, communal experience, you know, and inspire inspiration. And so anyway, so that was just fun, you know, to doing that. And I had, you know, a movie drop at a lot of festivals and mm -hmm. in the Nevada Reno and I met Bob Gale. That was really cool. Um, you know, listen to his stories about Back to the Future, and I met cool. some really great people on my travels. You yeah. Know? Oh my God, um, it sounds like a hell of a hell of a time period. Yeah. So with Willie's comes, you know, now Willie's is like the biggest movie I've done. Yeah. Biggest budget and biggest hype. You know, and I always thought to myself, man, am I ever gonna get back to the method? It was my first movie. I had Jeff Robinoff as my agent. 
I was going to these parties. This is a great story. So we go to this party. It was uh, Don Plum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a short film that Leonardo DiCaprio did. He produced with Tobey Maguire. Oh, wow. And uh, we go to this party. It was like a rap party. And uh, I was dating my wife at the time. And uh, Brittany uh, Murphy was there. And she was there with a couple of her friends. And anyways, uh, I remember talking to this girl. And she was like, well, what do you do? I'm a director, blah, 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 blah. You know. And then uh, she asked my wife, what does she do? And my wife's a nurse now. She was uh, working for the EMT. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, great. And she just kind of glazed over her head and then just kind of like drifted away. And I'll never forget what my wife Mary said. She's like, you know, she doesn't find me interesting now, but after her Coke at 2 in the morning, I'm saving her life. <laughs> oh, fuck. And I was in like, retrospect, wow. my God. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And you know what happened to Brittany Murphy? God yeah. bless her soul. Yeah, of course. You know, it wasn't her that did it, but she was with the group, you know? Wow. And uh, um, anyways, so I've had some really great, yeah. interesting experiences. And I feel like, you know, with Willie's now, power to the people, right? Oh, yeah. Back in the day, it was like, you know, New York you know, uh, Times, LA Times, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, and talking to you and everybody else. You know, and, and seeing the audience's reactions and the love of this movie and going to the drive-in yesterday and them honking their horns, the like. Yeah, I, it reminds me of a story I heard when Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were crafting Evil Dead. They yeah. obviously were going to a lot of drive-ins. And like you said, when yeah. people, when actually, for, apparently when people were, were bored, they would start honking their horns and flashing their lights. And they yeah. decided they did not want, or it was maybe it's the other way around. Maybe when they're ha- enjoying, I think it's when they're having a good time, they start flashing their lights and honking their horns, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah. decided they wanted Evil Dead to be a movie where people did not stop flashing flashing lights and honking horns. In other words, they wanted a movie that would play in the drive-in where people would constantly be entertained throughout the course of the movie. There'd be no boring moments. There'd be no like drops in energy, just ramp, 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 momentum, momentum, momentum. So for that to have come full circle with your movie and you, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we're in a COVID situation, but it's, it's allowed the drive-in to ride again for you to be able to see your movie with, flashing lights and honking horns i mean damn how beautiful is that it's beautiful buddy it was so beautiful that's why we make movies yeah man yeah and uh seeing my kids like i said you know what we're having a 30 person watch party i want to make cool genre movies you know when i was younger i had the angst i want to i had a really cool drama that i wanted to do kind of about some really important things and you know and i god bless people that have their passion project we need all that we need it all, man. You know, but man, I, especially with what I just went through and yeah. everything, I just, I want to live, man. And I want to live life to the fullest and making these kind of movies and fun movies that put a smile on people's faces that they can go out yeah. or it can inspire some young filmmaker to go just say, you know what? I want to go make movies. Yeah, That's a joy and a privilege. And I really want to work on those kind of films. Super cool. Know? So any yeah. um, any sequel potential for Willie's? You know what's awesome is so many people have asked that, and um, I think there is. You know, yep. now, you Nick mythology would have to there. want to do, Nick would have to want to do it. I would hope he would. Um, we've got some really great ideas. Uh, I talked to Gio about it actually last night. You know, so there's some really great potential out there. Cool. Um, so we'll see what happens. That's you know? great. Um, we got to make it. You know, if it is, you know, we got to make it better than the first in my book. It's got to be the Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah. Although some people want to 
hang me for saying that because New Hope's the golden, you know. Yeah. But anyways, uh, so we'll see. You know, I, I, I hope. I yeah. really do, you know. Um, but I, I would love people to associate my name with a brand. You know, we're in a branding culture now. Oh, yeah. It's funny. My daughter, she's 15, like 14, she got on Instagram. I mean, I was like, okay, it's just inevitable at this point with their friends on. I said, congratulations, Caitlin, you're, you're a brand because mm-hmm. everyone's a brand now oh, on yeah. Instagram. Right? Well, I'd like to be a brand and I'd like to be a brand when they see Kevin Lewis, that everybody's like, you know what? I'm in for a good time. Oh yeah. I'm just going to want to have a fun time. And the critics are probably sharpening their knives, but you know, <laughs> I don't care. Especially when I went through, I could care less. Yeah. I just love making people just smile and just have a good time at the movies. That's great, man. So what is yeah. next for you in the immediate short term? Well, you know, I've, I've got a, a cool uh, Halloween project. It could be like a, it's a throwback to the Amblin days. Ooh, okay. Um, uh, but uh, with a with kind of a sensibility of, of Stranger Things mm-hmm. to it. Um, with these kids, you know, and it's cool, man. I think it could be really good. It's a bigger budget, a lot bigger budget. That's great. So we'll see. We'll see. I want to take that out. I've got uh, another cool project, man. It's an action horror uh with I'm working with a great writer, great nice. friend, um, amazing friend. And uh, we're putting that together. What's really cool is uh, Jeremy Daniel Davis, the producer of Willie's, he's on these with me. Oh, great. So we're teaming up again. Um, we just, we had, we're, we had such a great time on this. Yeah. Had each other's back the whole way through. Was tested. tested oh, yeah. Big time. I tell people too, you know, stay the course. You know, you, I look at like the yellow brick road, but it's like, seriously, stay the course. There's going to be people trying to push you off that road, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, you know, uh, there's so many things, man. Desperation in Hollywood is a scarlet letter mm. you, and people see it, wear it, you know, and you can't have it. I know it's hard. You know, you don't have a contractor coming in, you know, and going, you know, Oh my gosh, we're going to do a two story and, and this is going to be great and blah, 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 blah. And here's my ideas. But it's like, you know, here's the thing, whatever I need 30% down. Here's, you know, it's like our artists are so emotional. Mm. We want it so bad, right? Yeah. We just love it so much. And there's people that take advantage of that big time. Yeah, I'm sure of it. And yeah. Beware. And- yeah, in uh, Matthew McConaughey's autobiography, Green Lights, which is amazing, super recommended read. That. Oh, it's awesome. I um, I actually got all it right, on right, Audible. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I have it on Audible, and you can listen to him read it, which is fantastic. Oh, I have the I'm hard copy too, but it's such okay. a good book. But in the okay. beginning, he was talking about when he first entered Hollywood, he was talking to somebody like, hey, man, I got to get an agent. I need an agent. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're entering Hollywood, you can't need anything. Hollywood is not something that thrives, as you said, on desperation and on need. Right. You enter it, and if yep. you have that desperate energy, it is like yeah. kryptonite to the the yeah. people who actually can give you a green light. You know, you're right. You're so right. He's right. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny because uh, I remember with one of my scripts, I optioned as producer. I was in college, and you know, and he he was paying me like, you know, like monthly. You know, on I mean, he was very nice on that on that thing, but. I remember getting that option and I was like, perpetuity, what does that mean? You know? And it's like forever and ever. That's <laughs> not fair. You know? So I've had my shares big time. Yeah. Um, and you just, you can't be desperate. I read Oliver Stone's book 
that was a great book. Ooh, I gotta God, check that, that out. Such a, you need to read that book. Okay. I mean, he's on the phone. By the way, John Daly, who produced uh, Salvador and Platoon, he was going to produce one of my scripts. I oh, met wow. him at a film festival that The Drop played, mm-hmm. and um, he, I, he, we hit it off. And he's John Daly, the Terminator man. Yeah. You know, but I didn't know the backstory of John Daly too, and that was something. And I would go up there every day in his office and work for free. You know, and there's a point. I'm, I've got now a, a wife and kid at home, and. And I was like, honey, you know, you just got to stick with me. It's just John Daly. And then, of course, you read in Oliver Stone's book that's what's happened with John Daly. And of course, Cameron's talked about it. Mm-hmm. And he was prepping a movie called uh, The Aryan Papers at the Direct at that point. And he did. He wound up directing it. I met Martin Landau there, actually. Wow. Amazing, because he was in the movie. And I met uh, David Carradine there. I said to him, uh, why two kill bills? You know, um, <laughs> what's going on with that? And he goes, because you're going to pay for it twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so that was cool. But uh, yeah, so in Stone's book, he talks about Daly helping with Salvador and then he's going to jump on Platoon. But then he's like suing, Daly's going to sue him or he's suing, you know, hmm. he's going to sue Daly. I never heard you know, that but story. Then she's like, oh, it's amazing. You know, and it's like lawsuit here, but we're going to go work together here. And, uh, <laughs> ruthless business this is a crazy business you know um there's a great i listened to terry gilliam uh, it was a podcast and he was talking about munchausen Mm -hmm. and the producer of munchausen uh i can't remember her name but they didn't get along of course and everything and he he she was like i'm done with you i'm never working with you again and then the script for 12 monkeys came around and the, the producer of that was her husband and he sent it to, to Terry and offered it to him. And he was just laughing. And he just said, it just shows you in Hollywood, there's no bridges that, that can be burned, you know? <laughs> right, you know, right. Isn't that funny, you know? Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, so a lot of trials and tribulations. You know what? It was cool. I told Nick some of it on set. I just said, man, I, I've been working so hard. You know, he could have said no. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want Kevin directing this movie. They saw the third nail, I think, in Dark Heart, and they were they were cool with it. But um, it's funny when I got the note, when I got the uh, word that Nick's in, Jeremy called me. He's like, "You, you, you sitting down?" He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Nick Cage is in." Wow. The movie. I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, it's amazing." And then uh, he's like, "Okay, I got I got this call. I got to take it. Just just sunk that in, you know." I was like, "I, I, I will," you know. Yeah. And then I hang the phone up and I remember going, I'm out. Oh, thinking you that know? he would fire you off the project. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because guess what happened? Once that happened, William Morris is, you know, his agency, whatever, ton of directors. Mm. You know, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about this guy? You know, and Mike Nylon and Nick liked my work and stuck with me. Man, and, that uh, is the kind of loyalty. That's the kind of yeah. loyalty you can't buy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't directed a movie for a long time, and it's not that I haven't worked on. You know, I worked on several projects, one in Korea that, that we were going to shoot in Korea, and a whole Korea crew was going to have a whole old boy crew oh, wow. to shoot it, and it just didn't, it fell apart. And I had a movie with Mads Mikkelsen attached. Oh, man. Um, that, uh, that he, before we won the Cannes Film Festival, Nick. Yeah. And um, he loved the script, worked so hard, and uh, it was going to be exciting, you know, and couldn't, you know, 
financing and just that didn't work yeah. out. So I was working on projects, but, uh, you know, so when I got that call, it was so funny. And I actually said it out loud. I was like, well, I'm out, you know, <laughs> to myself. And uh, they were so loyal. And uh, Jeremy stuck by me. Yeah. And uh, he brought me back in, man. You know, he brought me back in the game. I got him to thank. Yeah. You know, so um, it's just we had such a great crew on this movie, you know, and yeah. uh, it's just fun, you know, and uh, I feel like we, we mission accomplished what we did. That's amazing. You man. Know? Well, huge congratulations yeah. to you and the cast and Thank crew. You. I mean, the movie was Thank so you. much fun. So fantastic. It's just a breath of fresh air to watch something that is just so just, indulgently fun, you know, and so gives happy. us the horror you, goods. You made my day. Yeah. You made my week. <laughs> you know, really talking to everybody and doing these interviews and just hearing how exciting people are. And uh, like I said, seeing yesterday in the drive-in, you know, I mean, it's just been such a special experience, you yeah. know, and, uh, and Nick's amazing in the movie. You know, and everybody with their memes of the overacting that they say he does and all this stuff. I was like, I just can't wait for them to see this because there's not a lot of actors that could could have taken this on and mm-hmm. done what he did. Yep. And it's a scary, scary proposition when you're not speaking. Right. Because as an actor, you can hide through dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a director, you can hide through dialogue. And uh, to have that, I knew we had to make it visually entertaining. Right. Because if we didn't, it's going to be just boring. But with Nick Cage, of course, nothing's ever boring. No, I definitely not. Let the camera go, you know, <laughs> which I did on the pinball machine. That's all Nick. He, that sequence, he just came in and rocked it. Wow. And he just improv that. Three, had three cameras on it. And uh, and then I did this uh, at a snorkel cam- uh, lens camera. Uh, to get all the inside after he was done, but mm-hmm. um, that was all him. So and, cool. uh, that night, I I, I told him, uh, "You're the reason why I make movies, man." Wow, you must have loved hearing that. Audience clapped, applauded. You know, it was the audience, it was the crew, and uh, it was amazing. That's so cool. So, yeah, awesome. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you for yeah. being here today. Uh, I loved it, Nick. It was awesome talking to you. You I'll too. Come on anytime. Any yeah. uh, parting advice for those aspiring filmmakers out there? Stay true to yourself. Sweet. Like I said, that road, the road, get ready for the push-offs. There's going to be people trying to push you off, whether it is your script, change your script from, you know, uh, uh, horror to thriller or genre or change this person to that because it fits or agendas. Watch out for agendas. Everybody has an agenda. What's their agenda? Your yeah. agenda should be wanting to make a great movie. That's your agenda. Jeremy's agenda was to make a great movie. That's my agenda. That was yeah. Nick's agenda, right? And and so, you know, watch out for people. Movie making is about faith. You mm-hmm. have to have faith in people. And, and you have to have faith in the people you're working with. And it's right. hard because sometimes, you know, and you get tested, you know, but stay the course and follow your vision. Great. Kevin, thank you yeah. again. Thanks, Nick. All right. So many big lessons here. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Kevin Lewis. Number one, drive on. Kevin's dad was in the military, and a big motto during his time in Vietnam was drive on, meaning that no matter how many bullets were flying at your head as a soldier, it's imperative to push forward and accomplish the mission at all costs. This is an equally important motto for today's filmmakers to consider. 
One of the big recurring themes of Kevin's career history is that he pushed all of his movies forward himself without waiting for people to give him the green light. He made his movies happen. Regardless of how many features he had under his belt, Kevin would beg, borrow, steal, and hustle his ass off every step of the way for each of his subsequent movies without waiting for someone to hand him a green light. This is a huge concept, and yet another outcrop of Mark Duplass's speech, The Cavalry Is Not Coming, which you should all see. Just Google Mark Duplass, The Cavalry Is Not Coming, and watch the entire video. It's really important. But it basically amounts to this. Nobody is going to push your movie forward other than you. Regardless of how many movies you make, you're always going to have to sing for your supper and push your films forward by the skin of your teeth. It's important to get used to that. Kevin realized this early on and as a result was always working on something instead of waiting around for someone to hand him a project. Number two, work with people who have the same agenda. Kevin has worked on many sides of Hollywood and experienced firsthand just how insane this industry can be. He also illuminated the fact that there are a lot of sharks in this business, but not just sharks who are greedy and will chew you up and spit you out, but even worse, there are saboteurs out there who want to see you fail. This is a very unfortunate personality type, but they are rampant in Hollywood and the world of filmmaking. People who want to sabotage you and your movie, either out of spite or jealousy or whatever toxic bullshit is inside of their heads, the point is these people exist. And you have to steer clear of them by keeping them out of your circles and off of your sets. Kevin went on to say that everyone in Hollywood has an agenda. And regardless of how good someone's intentions may seem to be, they might not have your best interest at heart. So be cautious about who you work with. More specifically, it's important to find people who have the same agenda that you have and work with them. And as Kevin stated, your agenda should always be to make a great movie. Number three. Work with Nicolas Cage. In addition to his cult status, dynamic acting ability, and downright iconicism, Nicolas Cage is a mensch. When he was given the script for something as off-the-wall and bonkers as Willy's Wonderland, he not only jumped on board, but he fought for the movie to get made. And he fought for Kevin to remain on board as director. Nick Cage is a big star. He didn't have to do any of that, but he used his star power to empower Kevin as an indie director and to help the movie get funded. But this is all really extraordinary, and it's hard to find actors like these, but Nicolas Cage is one of them. So if you have the opportunity, work with Nicolas Cage or someone like him whose heart is in the right place. Seek these people out. Actors like these will not only make your production process an outright pleasure, but will also support you and your movie, which can really move things forward. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor and uh, say hello while you're there. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.